All right, everyone. The Dr. Alex Show is brought to you by Shed Light Cold Lasers. And Shed Light Cold Lasers has been a game changer for us at HML professionally and personally at home. Personally, on a, on a personal note, I had a very bad bout of vertigo. And I got probably 85% there by going to a few different functional neurologists over the years to help me out with it. Then I bought this. And this is a game changer because one, it's portable. That means I can take it to the office, use it on patients all day, make sure it stays charged, come on home, and then throw it in my pocket and use that home. And this is what cleared up my vertigo. Now, professionally, the way it's, game, it's uh, been the game changer for us in the office is that it has cut our results down by 50%. This can get used on just about anything, any disease disorder that you can think of, it can pretty much get used on. Now, as far as how it has helped us out, it's cut everything down by 50% on our times. So when we're working with our kids with special needs, uh, when we're working with our chronic neurological disorders, autoimmune diseases, to get those people into a good point that they're happy and that we're happy, times have been cut by 50%. You will definitely want to go check out shedlightcoldlasers.com or email Griswold at shedlightinformation at gmail.com 518-338-6658. Well, all right, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Alex Show. Today's huge because first and foremost and most importantly, Dr. Lauren's in studio. <laughs> <laughs> she will She will probably not appear, but she's here. Um, <laughs> And that's because, as everyone can see, if, if you are watching the video, uh, we have two other people here. We have Dr. Jared Woodman and his wife, Michaela. And we're going to be talking about their story and the horrific events that they have gone through and still kind of going through with their two kids with pandas. Um, and I guess what I'll do is break down a couple things with it, and I'm going to pass it on because there is so much to this. So this episode will be a lot of their story, and if we have to, we'll do another episode about it because it's super important, and a lot of people don't know about pandas or pans or neuroautoimmunity. And so the big umbrella is this is neuroautoimmunity. This is the immune system attacking the brain. And the most common form of this in kids is called pans, pediatric acute neuropsychiatric syndrome. The biggest one under that is pandas pediatric acute neuropsychiatric disorder associated with streptococcus. So there has been, like everything else in life, a lot of pushback against this. Is it even a disorder? Is it diagnosable? Does it exist? Does it not exist? All of that aside, uh, just know that it's there and it does exist and it's very real. Absolutely. And it is wrecking people's lives. And I would almost think that it's more common than autism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in all seriousness. Yeah, I and, think, and I like have I heard that yeah. stat. I heard that stat when uh, uh, Brielle was going through what she mm -hmm. went through. So the takeaway, what I just want to point out real quick on how this happens is uh, real quick, kids have infections. They wax, they wane, they have fevers. Eventually what happens is the immune system gets sick of fighting the uh, infectious agent, call it strep. And the kid will no longer have fevers, but they'll start developing psychiatric symptoms, anxiety, OCD, even Tourette's-like behaviors, um, depressions, uh, rage, you name it, it's all going to be there. And that happens because if you look under the microscope of what the amino acid sequence is of strep, call it ABCD. 
it looks a lot like the amino acid sequence of certain brain structures, um, like called the basal ganglia in the brain. And let's say the basal ganglia amino acid sequence is A, B, C, E. Well, it's close enough for government work, so the immune system says, I'm sick of fighting all this, it goes after it, and then the immune system makes antibodies that are gonna go after the brain, at the same time they have antibodies to go after the infectious agent. And there's a ton of details behind all this, but it's called molecular mimicry. And it doesn't have to be an infectious agent, No. but, it, yeah, but with this disorder and most, maybe if not all autoimmune issues, this is the start of it, mm -hmm. molecular mimicry. Mm -hmm. It's because the immune system is sick of trying to go after whatever it's going after. It makes an antibody to go after anything that resembles it because it's trying to protect you. Mm -hmm. And that's where we have the issues. So with this case, it happens to be in the brain. And the reason that it causes psychiatric symptoms as you listen to the story is because the most amount of blood in the brain is in what we call those lower structures, the limbic system, the basal ganglia, the cerebellum. So where the blood goes, those antibodies go, and that's where it's gonna go and wreak havoc. So anyway, I'm gonna pass this off to Michaela and, and Dr. Widman. And Dr. Widman, for everyone listening, is a medical doctor. He'll give you more uh, of his background, but let's pass it to you guys. So thank you so much for having us today. This is awesome to be here and to be with you guys. And oh, thanks, um, for, thanks for coming. Because uh, by the way, these guys were patients, mm -hmm. but uh, they're friends now, so. Yes. And, and so, I broke HIPAA. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> very, very clearly patients, yes. <laughs> So uh, again, we're Jared and Michaela Widman. I'm Jared's physician. I'm a former school teacher. Um, we started our family in 1999 and had four boys and two girls in that order um, over 12 years. And um, our kids are currently between ages 10 and 22. And I think the best way to to start our story is just right at the beginning and to let it unfold, let the mystery unfold. Um, as as it evolved for us so uh, in the early years when we were just beginning our family starting in about 2001 when our oldest was a couple of years old um, we really wish we knew then what we know now of course but we were actually just very much thrown into uncharted waters uh, with our oldest son Kai who was I guess actually about 18 months at the time when all of this started so Kai was what we easily labeled a strong-willed child. <laughs> and in fact, he was completely off the charts. I even did a test one time from a strong-willed child book and he was above 100 <laughs> on that chart, um, <clears throat> on that test. But uh, early years with him were absolutely exhausting. Um, he had a widespread automatic defiance he threw massive temper tantrums, which were way above and beyond um, in intensity and length than normal children's, normal toddler's temper tantrums. And as soon as he learned to talk, he began arguing with us. <laughs> um, any chance he could get. It was like he was thinking that he was born into the world to correct us and <laughs> not the opposite. So. Um, <laughs> Oddly, uh, he did not connect with me at all, his own mom, until around age six. He had zero attachment, but he wasn't autistic. He didn't seem to have any place on the spectrum at all. Um, when he was pre-kindergarten age, I used to actually shake in the mornings 
before he got up, just anticipating the battles that I knew I was going to have with him all day long because they were every day. Wow. Yet, at the same time, I have to say on the flip side, he was an absolutely incredible kid in so many ways. He was extremely engaging conversationally. Even in preschool, he could talk with adults and did all the time. He was exceptionally gifted in intelligence. We thought he was super cute, and he was just fascinating to us. Um, we loved him very much, and we believed he had tremendous potential, even with all of the things he was going through. So we just put all of our energy into trying to lead him and straighten him, and we believed with all of our hearts that uh, someday he would overcome the strong will and become a strong man through it. Um, and then during this time, too, of course, we continued to build our family, first having the boys. After Kai came Jace, Kale, and Sterling. And then we welcomed our first little girl, Brielle, in 2007, followed by Brenna four years later in 2011. So as the years went by, the struggles with Kai continued, but they naturally morphed as he grew older. There were many, many issues, but the main ones were probably impulsivity, defiance, dominance, and uh, the arguing, which we'll talk more about later. But on the positive side, Kai was growing into a young man with strong convictions. He was connecting with me very well now, and he continued to be a massive absorber of knowledge. Just loved learning all the time, in school, out of school, couldn't stop him. Had an insatiable appetite for learning. Which I wish I had his ability, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was kind of all a part of that illness, you know, as we talked about left and right brain uh, mm -hmm. later on. Yep. Uh, that that was a, a good side effect of everything that was going on, yeah. but he didn't have the other side of the brain catching up with that left side, which was like a computer just downloading everything <laughs> into his brain all the time. So still generally believing at this time that these negative issues were behavioral, we continued to do all that we knew for behavior. Again, wish we knew then what we know now, but, but then, <clears throat> excuse me, life suddenly took a really big turn, really terrible turn, and that was December of 2011. Kai was 12 and a half, and our youngest was three months old. Gradually, yet seemingly very suddenly, in that month, Kai's hyper energy started transforming into what we called episodes. Um, it honestly seemed to be a part of the same that we had been dealing with him his whole life, but he was just suddenly so, so much worse. Um, Jared and I had to face the hard reality of what we knew at the time that our son had mental illness. And that was difficult, but we were more than willing to face whatever the truth was. Um, for some examples of what was going on, he would get hyper freaked out about the littlest things, like his brother sitting too close to him on the couch or a small easy homework assignment. And by freaking out, I mean he did not appear to be in reality at all. He, things were threatening to him that were unnoticeable to other people. Um, and in the past, he had occasionally have um, he occasionally had dark thoughts, randomly, not very often. But at this time, he started having dark thoughts more frequently. And by that, I mean he did not want to live anymore. Um, he assured us that he didn't actually want to hurt himself, but he didn't want to live anymore either. So I remember this one time he was lying on his bed and I was sitting next to him and he told me that he just wished that the light would go out. And that was 
a horrible, horrible thing for me to hear um, because he, he was desperate even then. And I didn't know what to do for him. I didn't know how to make him want to live. And I just hoped and prayed that he would never actually take his life. But again, you know, this was 2011. We didn't have the knowledge then that we have now. And issues like this were considered psychological, psychiatric at best. Um, <clears throat> so we did still take him to our family doctor who did general testing on him. And Jared did tests too at his office. Um, nothing significant showed up on anything. It just showed that Kai was a very healthy 12-year-old boy, um, other than having low vitamin D. But it was winter, so we weren't surprised by that. So after all of this, and with his issues getting more and more concerning, and without knowing what else to do, Jared and I discussed and agreed to put Kai on some low-dose Zoloft. Now there's an irony here, because at first, the Zoloft actually seemed to help. Um, the new issues went away, and we were thrilled because even the behavior issues got better, about 70%. It was very unexpected that the behavior issues would go away. Um, so, you know, we were thrilled and felt like we had it all figured out and that the old issues were indeed connected with the new issues and that he had a serotonin uptake problem and all he needed was a pill and everything would be fine. Hmm. Little, little did we know. <laughs> little did we know. Um, a few weeks later, things were not fine. Kai's mental problems came back full force, and we just figured that he must need more than the low dose, so we gave him a moderate dose. And again, we saw improvement, so we just took things day to day at that point. But the day soon came around April of 2012 when that dose stopped working too. And when the symptoms returned, they returned worse than ever. Kai started having lengthy ranting episodes uh, that were completely illogical and unreasonable. <clears throat> Even just the arguments and the rantings, the things he was saying showed us that he was not right in the head. Um, he just argued with us more than ever. He started running away at that time, very scary, and he was talking about wanting to die more. He was seeming to be tormented, actually, in his own brain. So Jared and I were now in the worst predicament, not knowing what to do. You know, our best judgment was to clearly take him off the Zoloft since things were worse. Um, and we just simply hoped that with the spring and summer coming um, with the full sunlight, outdoor activities, no school pressure, more sleep, that Kai would see better days, at least temporarily. <clears throat> but unfortunately, that was not the case. When we took him off the Zoloft, for the remainder of the semester, Kai completely lost interest in school for the first time in his life. This kid that loved learning suddenly didn't want to learn anymore, at least at school. And following that was the worst summer ever up to that time. Kai became delusional, volatile, hostile, explosive, unable to reason even more. He picked fights with everyone and went on and on and on at them, just driving them to the ground. There was nothing we could do to stop him either. We couldn't separate him because he would come out of his room and, and break away from us to go after somebody verbally. We tried consequences, we tried discussing with him, we tried everything and nothing worked. So looking back now, I can see that he was full of inflammation. I can see that now, but 
um, even just by the look of him. But I didn't know what that was at the time that I was seeing. I did see his eyes, though. His eyes were scary. It was unavoidable to notice because they look like the eyes of wild animals in the woods. Mm-hmm. And, and you can even still see it when you look back on pictures mm-hmm. from that age. You can even see it in photos. Yeah. And um, I remember there was this one day when the kids and I were trying to fold laundry, and I couldn't get Kai to help at all, as usual, because he could not do any work. Um, and he was just naturally arguing with me about it very angrily, and I finally just broke down and I said, Kai, why do you argue? Why do you argue about everything with everyone all the time? And he actually paused. He thought about his answer. And he said with angry eyes, if I don't argue with you, I will get a headache and a stomach ache and I will feel awful. And suddenly a light bulb went off in my head. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I realized immediately that he had OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, he was not in control of that arguing impulse because his brain was making him do it. And you're probably wondering how I knew that, but full disclosure, I had suffered from OCD myself for several years since my second pregnancy, and it ran in my family as well. So. You know, even though I had never heard of it manifesting in arguing, it was easily recognizable to me just by that feeling that he had. Yeah. And it made sense. So, you know, it was nice to finally have a little bit of a label of what was going on, but we still didn't know what to do about it. So with our limited knowledge, we tried uh, a couple of more medications that summer, which didn't work. And finally, around the middle of August, Uh, 2012, we switched to what we felt was a more promising psych med, which was Effexor. And as with the Zoloft, at first things got better. Kai was super happy. He had no more dark thoughts whatsoever for the first time in a long time. And he was even excited for school to start, which was great. Um, He did have one side effect of the Effexor, and that was hyperactivity. But that was a small problem compared to everything we had been through and he was at least happy so hyperactive and happy was better than hyperactive and angry so uh, we just tried to return life to normal for the kids but honestly Jared and I were apprehensive we were just waiting for the next thing to happen Um, for background on the story as a family (coughs) doc I treated you know many adults and plenty of teens for depression and anxiety issues Um, and it had found myself kind of in a in a cornered role dealing with patients who couldn't find help otherwise Mm -hmm. and so had had kind of honed the craft to be able to help a lot of patients over time and found that you know it was i I would always seek to avoid using medication whenever possible employ every other means possible to help a child but there are times when you've tried everything that i knew in my tool chest and could get nowhere and so we would try meds And I would typically, you know, at tiny doses, not even at usual starting doses, but at tiny doses, find meds to be helpful for the large majority of kids. And we wouldn't seek to increase doses unless we had to. Um, Rare did we run into side effects. So that was my background in, you know, defining how do I help Kai here and some of the hesitance of, I don't really want to be the one prescribing this for my own son, but at the same time, 
in the entire Kansas City metro area, I didn't have anybody that I could turn to to trust to do it any better than I felt I could do it yeah, myself. Especially yeah, especially then. Um, and so <coughs> seeing Kai's response to these various meds was completely off the charts to what I dealt with in helping, you know, at that point, a good 30, 40 kids through through the years in my own practice sure. in similar circumstances. He, he was a completely different um, response than what I'd previously encountered. Yeah, which makes your wheels start turning like there's yeah. something else. Yeah. Wow. And it turned out our instincts of being afraid of what would happen next were right um, because about six weeks later, after starting the effects here at the end of September, Kai had now become full-blown psychotic. Um, all of his symptoms were back and plenty more had entered in. Uh, he wasn't this way all the time. In fact, in between episodes, he was actually doing decently. But the waves of illness cycled, and the cycling uh, just made us terrified because we did not know from minute to minute with his volatility what was going to happen. Um, we wanted to take him off the Effexor, but because of our experience taking him off the Zoloft, we were afraid to take him off the Effexor. We didn't know if life was going to be better or worse without it, so we just kept him on it and rode the tumultuous waves and prayed for answers and just kept researching and mulling over our options. Um, and then it wasn't long before the next of our options became our only option. The next month in October of 2012, Kai was 13, and it was a beautiful fall Saturday late in the afternoon. We took the kids to a park in Olathe where Kai escalated into an arguing and ranting episode, accusing us of all sorts of things, demanding that we agree with him, because that was a big thing with him. We had to align with his thinking. And we refused to do it. We refused to comply with his reality, so he ran away. Just ran away, away from the park, into the woods. And uh, we felt it was just best to let him go, burn off his steam, and besides, he could run faster than we could, so it was not, not even worth trying. But as the early fall darkness started coming over, Jared and I became concerned because Kai wasn't coming back. So we casually took a walk along the path, and a couple of minutes in, we suddenly heard up over our heads a little proud, hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we looked up, and there was Kai in a tree looking down at us, um, enjoying watching his family worry about him. So we had learned to play it cool with him. We had really had to learn cool down strategies <laughs> with this kid. So somehow we talked him down out of that tree, took a couple of minutes um, and got him in the car. But unfortunately on the way home, he, the ranting started again. And you know, as always, this was so hard on the other kids to be in a confined space listening to this, um, the high intensity, the anger. But by the time we got home, Kai was at rock bottom, and he was just out of his mind. So going into the house while yelling about how he wanted to kill himself, I was following not too far behind him with my 13-month-old now on my hip, my left hip. And I figured he would just keep ranting, or he would turn on the TV or go to his room and slam the door. But instead, he went over to the drawer in the kitchen where I kept my kitchen knives and pulled out a knife out of the drawer. And suddenly, in a moment I will never forget, Still, while holding my toddler on my left hip, I had to grab the knife with my right hand, 
from my son. And it was this crazy, just unthinkable struggle. Um, I could not get the knife out of his hand because he had such superhuman strength. And so I just started screaming for Jared, who was coming in from the garage. And Jared ran across the room. And as soon as Kai saw him, I don't know what gave out in him, but he just collapsed. He just lost all muscle tone and collapsed to the floor. Uh, Jared wasted no time. He picked him up, and Kai was like a wet noodle. And he said, Kai, that's it. You're going to a psychiatric hospital. We, we can't let this happen. We cannot let you kill yourself. Um, so... Long story short, Jared got him to that hospital, and a few weeks later, we had to have him admitted again to a different hospital. I'll just leave it at that because it's probably irrelevant to this story, but unfortunately, at the second hospital, he drove the care staff so crazy that they had to call me to ask me what to do with him. And this blew me away because this was what I thought they were trained for. <laughs> and, and this is what they do every day, right? You know, They, they literally called stuff. to ask you what they should do. Yeah, and the guy actually seemed traumatized. He, he just I said, he's, he's following me around, he's fixated, he won't stop arguing with me, um, I can't get him to do anything. And he, he just seemed scared. And <laughs> we were paying $2,000 a day at this hospital. And I was kind of thinking, you figure it out. We're paying you to do this. Don't call me unless you're going to pay me, <laughs> you know, to help you. But um, <clears throat> apparently Kai was beyond their scope of care for the care staff there. So the psychiatrist at the hospital, whom I was told never actually saw Kai in person, just read about his case, put him on six psych meds in total, including the Effexor, and after a few days just sent him home. Upon returning, Kai had serious up and down swings for the next several weeks, but slowly he got way worse and became extremely depressed. And just like all the other times, we wanted to take him off the meds, but we were scared to. We were even scared of withdrawal from the meds. We, we were just so confused. Um, at that point, he was actually asked by his middle school to not come back because of his excessive absences and obsessive disruptions in class. He was not in rages at school, thankfully. He could hold it in, which is very typical of kids like this, I have since found out. But he was very disruptive, always trying to redirect the teachers, always trying to have conversations with the teachers during class, lying down on the teacher's desk. You know, he walked into the office one day, went to the counselor's office and sat down at her desk. She wasn't there, lifted up the phone, and she came in and found him there. Just constant disruptions and trouble. And they liked him. They really did like him. They were very, very good with us and with him, but he was just too much for him. Yeah, well, they like him because he's still charming. Yeah, and, he, and he, I mean, he was a great personality other than the stuff that was going on. Um, and and so they, they asked us to please let him stay home, and we put him on homebound, and they came up with a really good program for him, so we were very thankful uh, for them. But we also then found a psychiatrist in Kansas City, very seasoned psychiatrist and a very seasoned and excellent counselor in Topeka. Uh, we drove there for her. You know, we just were spinning along the psych route, trying to figure out how to handle it day by day. Um, and then in February of 2013, we put our entire family on the GAPS diet, gut and psychology syndrome uh, diet, 
to try to help Kai and the rest of us. We all had little issues. This was at the recommendation of a good friend who had done gaps with her family, and she was on some chat rooms, and people were saying how much it was helping their OCDs. So she told me about it, and we decided to do this. And it was tr a tremendously difficult switch. Gaps is not easy. Um, and it was even more difficult to steadily carry it out over time because it, it, you couldn't give up on it. You couldn't cheat even once. Um, so we were doing it, you know, since none of the psych meds were working and we were in so much trauma, we decided to stick it out. And we were glad we did because um, we were very faithful and we saw some amazing and undeniable improvements happen in Kai about six weeks after starting the diet. It was a very long time <laughs> to have faith that this very difficult diet was working. Um, but we did about six weeks in start to see the real Kai come out. And, and it was incredible. I remember just standing in the kitchen watching him, like observing this kid, like there he is. He's really there underneath it all. But um, I just want to say that it took you know, a lot of um, focused dedication from the entire family to, yeah. to stick it through those six weeks. We were focused on it for Kai, believing that it was going to make a difference, and it ultimately did. Um, but it wasn't easy. Yeah, and it was – we did it, it longer was worth than the six effort. weeks. Yeah. yeah, we did it for a year. But, yeah, um, as a, the point was that we were six weeks in still yeah. waiting on results. Yeah. <laughs> and, and dealing with a really challenging diet, you know, yeah. but all of us doing it for him. Yep. So. Yeah, and he still – you know, healing was incomplete. He still had episodes. Um, and unfortunately, after a while, the, the problems came back. The illness started progressing, even with the gaps. And to this day, we really don't know why, but it was probably just the neurotoxicity of all the psych meds that he was on, um, neurotoxicity for him. So we did, um, however, dis discover through this process that Kai had a number of terrible food sensitivities that were triggers for him. And that was a really big blessing of doing gaps. And we'll talk about that more later, but I'm gonna fast forward a bit here to get this going, but um, we continued going the psych route and the GAPS route for several more months, two years total for psych and GAPS, like I said, for a full year. But by the time we were two years into the mental decline, by the end of 2013, Jared and I started taking notice of something else in Kai, um, something that ended up dramatically changing the course of our journey. And that was that Kai was starting to have full-blown physical symptoms along with the mental ones. And I'm going to reiterate that because these physical symptoms were happening at the same time the mental episodes were happening and they were happening in the same intensity Co total correlation happening every time and uh, this was huge for us because we suddenly realized something vitally important that Kai did not actually have mental illness after all um, there was something else going on in the background of his body and uh, it was a physical illness with mental manifestations Unfortunately, we had no idea where to start with this new theory, and no doctor could explain the connection of the mental and the physical symptoms. Unfortunately, his psychiatrist, who had become, over time, less and less helpful, actually told us that the physical symptoms didn't matter. Um, she soon after washed her hands of his case and insensitively suggested that he be institutionalized. 
And that was a really low point for us when the psychiatrist gave up on our son. Um, but the good news is, is that knowing Jared and me, <laughs> that event also became a catalyst because we dug our heels in at that point and we sure were not going to do that. We were not gonna put our son in an institution where they would give him psych meds that weren't working, give him foods that would trigger him. And so we made a choice knowing that psych medicine and allopathic medicine were not on our side anymore to switch and go to natural medicine, what some people will call alternative medicine. And by the time we got there to that decision, we were well into 2014 and unfortunately, even with the diet, Kai's list of mental and physical symptoms were continuing to grow. The list was a mile long. Um, I'm gonna try to run through this list as quickly as I can, but mentally, this is how far he had spiraled. When he was in episodes, he was obnoxiously loud, disruptive, made strange and repeated noises, wouldn't respond to requests or follow directions, was delusional, for examples, thinking he was someone else or thinking he was on a reality show or thinking he was married to a pineapple, just anything that, he, that would come in his brain. He spoke in different accents, unable to stop, was uncooperative even when things were extremely urgent or important, was micromanaging to his siblings and to us, picked fights for literally hours at a time, had no boundaries with regard to space. He would just bump into somebody or take something of somebody's. Um, he was combative, provocative, harassing. He would accuse, target, and scream at people for long periods of time. And like I said before, anybody who tried to not engage with him would only have him end up following, sorry, they would have him follow them around and just go after them. He had to argue with them. So, and he would be demanding about it very loudly. So um, he was 100% irrational and manipulative, explosive, and he could not empathize at all. We tried to teach him empathy, he could not get it. He was verbally aggressive and belligerent, had rages that would um, last for hours. A majority of weeks we spent 20 plus hours dealing with these rages, dealing with these episodes which is a part-time job, just 20, in and of itself. Oh, 20 hours, okay. I was like, 20 yeah, hours at a time? 20 hours at a, a week, Jeez. yeah. Family activities would come to a halt, and we would just manage Kai. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes in the episodes, he would be the opposite, too. He'd be giddy or silly or bizarre. He sometimes babbled things that made no sense at all, having impaired judgment. Occasionally, he had panic attacks. His words, his actions, his eyes, everything showed craziness. He was extremely suicidal, too, way too often. Um, the police and the EMS in our town knew him by name because we had to call them so much for help, be like, hey, it's Michaela Widman again, need, you, need your help. Um, but I cannot say enough good things about them. We were in Spring Hill at the time, and they were absolutely amazing, the police and the EMS. They walked into our house. They never judged. They cared. They talked kindly to Kai. They worked with him as best as they could. They acted like they just knew the situation already before coming in. It's incredible. And we were, were blessed. incredibly supportive. So I just want to give them a shout out. But um, as things got worse with Kai over time, when he wasn't in episodes, he was extremely ill, uh, seemingly ill. He was lethargic and non-functioning. Many times he couldn't bathe. He couldn't brush his teeth. He couldn't trim his nails, tie his shoes, clean up his room, or even eat. It was OCD torture to think of doing any of those mm -hmm. kinds of things. And he certainly couldn't do schoolwork, not even homebound. 
he became my full-time job at that time and when he wasn't in one of his hyped up states he was isolated wanting no more relationships with anyone anymore no friends didn't like us and now again he wasn't this way all the time at this time it was most of the time but not all the time he was occasionally pleasant but he was still deeply depressed and in rare moments when he could actually relate to us relatively normally and that's again relatively um, he would explain to us what was going on during the episodes in the mental blocks he said his thoughts were torturous and he did not want to be that way and he said that he did not process his behaviors until after the fact if at all he said he wasn't driving the car of his own mind which by the way, I still use that analogy. Yeah. He said in the very room, when I've met him, sorry, that, or not, that's not what I meant, but um, he said, uh, I feel like I'm not driving the bus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And major light bulbs went off here. Yeah. And mm-hmm. great understanding started occurring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had no control of it, which seems strange to anybody who has control of their brain, but... You know, he's been both. He's been a, the kind that's normal, and he's been not normal, so he knew how to explain it. And what he, were the – I'm curious what the light bulbs were for you, that's, what, what you were thinking, more in depth. Well, so knowing when when that – when he said that, that's the day, which you'll probably get to, I suggested we do testing for mm-hmm. neuroautoimmunity. Mm-hmm. And I said, holy guacamole. Oh, <laughs> not in my mind. I said other stuff. <laughs> uh, I said he's – He's autoimmune and his brain's under attack and he's not driving the bus. And yeah. and then in, at that time I was with Dr. Jones and I went and consulted him. I was like, what do you think? He's like, yeah. Wow. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I remember Dr. Jones too. Um, you guys were a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think too what Kai said was that, you know, he wished he – could get out of this body that he didn't have control over and that was that really spoke to me again broke my heart in the same way that he when he said he wished the light would go out just that he wished he could not didn't have to live in this body and then of course you know he had the physical symptoms as well which again happened simultaneously to the mental ones Um, dilated pupils failure for the pupils to react to light changes far away looks in his eyes extreme pallor oh my gosh the kid would get so pale ashen color just this gray color to his face lethargy a sort of neurological paralysis that would happen sometimes up to 90 minutes convulsions periods of time in which he had superhuman strength it would sometimes we had to hold him down and it would take four of us to hold him down sometimes he could even still get away from us when he four people were oh yeah Lauren brought up the uh, video of him pushing the, was it the kitchen island? Yeah. yeah. He pushed the kitchen island while he was screaming his head off across the floor. I did not know that the kitchen island could move. <laughs> pushed the kitchen island off of its yeah. foundation, call it. It, it did, yeah. yeah. He would turn furniture over, throw things, make dents in the wall. Um, he, he would have moments in which he became cataplectic meaning he had no no muscle tone, like I kind of mentioned before, and have complete body collapse sometimes with this. His face would swell sometimes, and he would get this reddish, purplish color under his eyes. And he started to have mild seizure-like symptoms sometimes, these dazed and glazed expressions, unable to move, speak, respond, blink much, or even swallow. 
And at one point, I think it was in 2014, we had him admitted to our city hospital, the children's hospital. But after three days of testing, they said they couldn't find anything wrong with him, just like the other doctors. You know, um, even when he went into one of these seizure-like states, the rapid response team had to be called in. Um, they worked for him for se- worked on him for several minutes, and they even poked him with a needle to get blood, and he didn't even blink at the needle. He was just staring straight ahead. And uh, they couldn't find anything wrong even during that episode. So, and even worse, at home, Kai had severe blood pressure drops, blood sugar swings, dizziness, shakiness. And this one was extremely interesting, which I kind of alluded to before, that he was extremely highly reactive to his own glucose rises. In other words, he could not eat sugar. He could not eat anything that turned to sugar in his blood. Um, And strangely, he had a 24 to 48 hour delay of symptoms after eating the foods. So if I suspected sugar for an episode, I would find out he had something two days earlier. Um, He often had hunger unawareness and would not desire to eat even when he had low blood sugar and needed to eat very badly. So I would make him eat anyway, even even if I had to spoon the food into his mouth because his low blood sugar was causing him to have the severe symptoms. And what I would feed him was high fat and high protein foods like sausage, eggs, cheese, bacon, hamburger patties with cheese, chicken, Alfredo sauce, and our, I called it our EpiPen, cream of chicken soup. That was, that was the ultimate thing. If he was having a really bad time, I'd give him cream of chicken soup. So uh, sometimes his heart would beat really fast, extremely fast and hard, like it was trying to pound out of his chest. Um, his resting heart rate was high and sometimes not steady. He often had a general feeling of sickliness, for back, lack of better description. And he swung from totally hyped up and out of control to completely collapsed and depleted often, just this cycle. When he was hyped up, he had the mental symptoms. And when he was depleted, his reflexes would slow and his speech would slur like he was drunk. And he had um, different kinds of sleep issues too. Sometimes he would have terrible insomnia. Other times he would sleep up to 17 hours. And he would wake up not rested from this, um, exhausted, like he'd been going all day, but he had just slept all a long night. Um, so his circadian rhythm, this was the one of the weirdest things, got out of a 24-hour cycle and went into a 27-hour cycle. So he would be up at all weird hours of the day. <clears throat> and then he started getting frighteningly skinny. His body just seemed to shrivel up. Very mysteriously, the stuff seemed to be worse in the winter than the summer. Um, He would would get somewhat better in the summer, and then we would watch as the fall would come and everything would come back full force. And we discovered he had many triggers for these symptoms, in addition to the glucose rises and the hunger. Um, These were a vestibular dysfunction. More on that later. Dr. Alex found that. Um, Lack of sleep or poor sleep fumes, stress of any kind, even good stress, like going on a vacation, growth spurts, prolonged lack of sunlight, standing up from either sitting or lying down, noise, vitamin B was a trigger, (laughs) barometric pressure changes were a trigger, we discovered later, and oftentimes any sort of work that he was required to do, and this drove him crazy because he was a hard worker at heart and wanted to learn and couldn't. So in order to condense this very (laughs) long story so we can move on, um, I'll just try to describe the next two years, 2014 to 2016, 
in the next 90 seconds. <laughs> so between 2014 and 16, uh, we put Kai under the care of a natural medicine doctor who worked tirelessly to uncover the mystery for us. Along the way, we found lots of clues, but still no answers. And since this doctor saw us as a team, thankfully, I decided in 2014 to start doing intense research myself on the internet for Kai, and I took my findings to this doctor. And so we put everything together regularly, and partial light was finally shed when all arrows started pointing toward a condition called dysautonomia, which is essentially dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system, the part of the nervous system that controls everything that we don't have to think about, breathing, stomach, um, blinking, heart rate, you know, all that stuff. So this doctor believed that a metabolic processing disorder was likely underneath it all, but he couldn't find the specific cause nor the cure. But we'd at least found this out, you know, in the two years we were with him, and, uh, you know, some pieces to the puzzle. And even better, this doctor helped him get off of all six of his medications. It took eight months to do that because we went very slowly, but he was so helpful in getting him off. And, and we did uh, so without declines along the way. <laughs> yeah, we, we had some little problems. but yeah. 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 So eventually, Kai plateaued in, the, in his progress with this doctor. So in 2016, we made the decision to move on. But we were very thankful for all we accomplished with him and are still grateful to him to this day. And thankfully, in 2016, that is when we had a big breakthrough. It wasn't the final breakthrough, but it was a very big one. It happened when we started Kai at age 16 at Brain Balance Centers. And it was there that we met, drumroll, Dr. Alex Nelson. <laughs> um, we soon made our first appointment with Dr. Alex in his office, and he introduced us to something we had never heard of, which was neuroautoimmunity. And it's a kind of funny story, which Dr. Alex doesn't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, I had been doing all this research the last two years for Kai, and we had figured out that he had dysautonomia. We were just trying to find out why he had dysautonomia. And so that's why I was going to Dr. Alex, taking Kai there. But Dr. Alex came in and said right away, I think I know what this is. This is neuroautoimmunity. And the funny part was is that I thought Dr. Alex was wrong. <laughs> 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 because <laughs> I was in the box of dysautonomia, and I, I didn't um, have any problems with testing for it. I just thought it was going to come back negative. <laughs> sure. So um, Dr. Alex, you know, suggested the Cunningham panel that tests five areas of the brain for antibody attack. And turned out, of course, Dr. Alex was right. Um, four out of five of the areas came back positive. Um, very high. And Additionally, we had an ASO titer test run, which is for strep antibodies. In and fact, I think when that test too. came back positive, you got a phone call. Yeah, from Moleculara. Moleculara called you and said, yep. this is so high. Yep. Yeah, because yeah. they, um, they, they said, okay, this is, they basically said this is the, one of the worst ones yet in terms of how high those antibodies were. But then, eh, I'm not trying to sound arrogant this is all actually humbling they go this is like your 15th in a row that's positive what are you doing <laughs> mm. and, and i was like uh, uh we're just unfortunately having a slew of these kids at the yeah moment, so mm. yeah yeah wow. Common ways. Common ways. Mm. yeah yes yeah so when those 
when those strep antibodies came back high, you know, we put it together that he had PANDAS. Um, again, the Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorder associated with strep. Um, today, this illness is no longer considered pediatric nor psychiatric, but that's what it's called. That's the old word for it, and they are thinking of changing the name to basal ganglia encephalitis, yep. but it's it's slow in coming. But yeah. um, And it's an autoimmune disease of the brain. So to put it in one statement, Kai's brain was on fire, and he was under severe antibody attack, and he was also enduring brain injury from it and had for a long time. So no wonder he wasn't driving the car. Um, and Dr. Alex is humble, but we call him our hero because it was at that point that everything started to get on the right track. And if we had not had him, I don't know where we would be right now. I can't even imagine with all the brain injury that was happening. So happening. So thank you so much, Dr. Oh, Alex. But, and now briefly, I will also say around this time, we received a referral for a doctor at KU Med Integrative Medicine. And there at KU, Kai received the official stamped diagnosis of dysautonomia. So <laughs> I did get to <laughs> get that stamp. Um, <laughs> I was right on that part, um, including POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And that just means, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're lying down, the blood pools in your chest. But when you stand up, the noradrenaline kicks in and gets the heart pumping all of the blood into the different parts of your body normally, but in somebody with POTS, uh, the noradrenaline is not working. So it causes the blood just to fall from gravity. Yeah, that, essentially it doesn't reach the brain. Yeah, and uh, when that happens, different symptoms can happen in different people. Some people pass out or whatever, but for Kai, it caused an immune response, and he would go into an episode just from standing up. So uh, from lying down to standing up. So we were very happy to get that diagnosis um, because between Dr. Alex and our KU doctor now, uh, we were starting to understand finally what was going on. We were just still, at least I was still confused about how the dysautonomia and the neuroautoimmunity were connected. And it's funny to me to look back to a time when I didn't understand how it was connected, but that was, you know, how we were at the time. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. And over the next 10 months, we did all that we knew to do. Uh, we worked hard to get Kai's immune system redirected, to get the infections out, get the triggers calmed, get his gut health back in order, uh, genetics tested, tonsils and adenoids removed, light therapy, chiropractic care, functional neurology care with Dr. Alex, vestibular therapy with Dr. Alex, and physical therapy for the POTS. At a, at a physical therapy place, and it was actually very helpful. That PT for the POTS, it actually eradicated the POTS, which yeah. was the first thing to go. We were very, very thankful for that. So if you want to elaborate on the vestibular or anything else we did, if you remember, it's a very long time ago, but. Um, yeah, so you had asked about, like, you know, could I elaborate? <coughs> and, you know, it, it certainly can, but the, the, the cool thing about what we do is nothing's protocol driven. Right. So when I was in that little room with him trying to figure out what was going on with his vestibular system, it's a matter of trial and error. So mm -hmm. we were going through and seeing, okay, does spinning one direction do this? Does a, what's called a VOR cancellation in this direction do it? Does um, standing up facing this way do it? Mm -hmm. Or whatever it was. And what we had found was if he spins to his left with his head tilted back into his left in extension, 
it stabilized his system. Yeah, and it was, that was amazing. And that was determined by looking at his pulse, his blood pressure, and his um, pupillary light uh, mm-hmm. uh, reflex. Yeah. So what happened was we monitored all that, and I found that that's what worked, and monitored pre and post, and I was like, well, this will probably do it. And then that mixed with a bunch of details, you walked out of the room probably like, okay, he's out of his mind. Oh, no, actually I didn't. <laughs> I was very impressed. <laughs> but, but then I, I can't remember the timeline if it was, that's what I don't have is if it was, it was like four weeks, or a couple weeks later, guys have walked in. I'm like, how's it going? And I was like, man, I hope that stuck um, because we we're worried about autoimmune. And you're like, this has been like the best, was, mm-hmm. I had the timeline, whatever it was, four weeks, yeah. a long time. It, it had been. Uh, a really good stretch because whatever it was in that vestibular system was triggering him and we were getting that part fixed and yeah. that seems to be sort of a fluke or something in the middle of all of the other stuff that was going on but maybe it wasn't maybe it was all connected some sort of damage um, that was creating that but well I it, think the vestibular system took a hit for a couple of reasons but the reason it worked was because the vestibular system it tells the brain where the head is in space. And if you're going to start going from laying to standing, the vestibular systems essentially fires over. It tells the various autonomic centers in the brainstem, hey, he's standing up. We got to make sure we got blood up here. By the way, go tell all the other areas of the brain and let's send signals down and tell the organs that, hey, we got to get blood out of the chest real quick and get it up there. And when people have POTS, nine times out of 10, the vestibular system's involved. So hmm. that's why interesting i went that direction yeah so the the question was was it going to stick because mm-hmm. he was having the autoimmune uh, flare-ups but thank yeah. goodness he 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 did it and did actually, for a while i'm yeah you know it, it the illness continued to progress but that summer was a it was a much better summer um relatively speaking mm-hmm. um unfortunately things unraveled again because of other reasons yeah. but I can't imagine how worse they would have gotten if we hadn't gotten that vestibular problem and the pots fixed. Yep. So it was a huge blessing. And, and the funny part is, is that I had to buy Kai, my teenager, a sit and spin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A, I got to go to Walmart and buy a sit and spin and we pulled the, the little wheel off and he would just sit there and spin himself. I thought, I hope none of his friends, <laughs> not that he had a lot of friends at the time, but hope nobody comes over and sees him on this. But yeah. the proof that it was working was that this defiant kid would follow the schedule for his sit and spin time on his own. Yeah, he, he We might throw out well. a reminder, but he would pretty much do it. And then in January of 2017, we flew Kai to Orlando to Plasticity Brain Center which was, again, recommended by Dr. Alex. Um, Kai did a week of intense exercises to help create new neuropathways in his brain and help bring some healing. And so over those 10 months, we did those things and other things, and we saw some great improvements. He was nowhere near normal yet, but thanks to Dr. Alex and all the treatments, um, we entered into the smoothest phase of Kai's illness since the whole thing had started in 2011. And though the year of 2016 was very overwhelming with all of this, and we moved to during that time to Overland Park, um, you can't imagine how incredible it was to finally have some answers and some, some effective treatments and some relief after all the years of suffering and torment. 
And so to put the improvement in measurable and picturable terms, this was Kai's junior, junior year of high school and he only missed 45 days that year. <laughs> so that's why I say, you know, he, he wasn't normal yet. He was still struggling a lot, but 45 days was amazing that, to miss. That was only a quarter of the year. The other years he had missed a lot more being on homebound or there was even one year he missed the whole year and he had to take five years to get through high school because of it. So we lightheartedly joke about the 45 days now, but um, that just puts it in perspective, just how much better things were. And so about now, if this were a movie, we would have to take an intermission because <laughs> um, for two reasons. And number one, it's kind of the midpoint of the story. And second, though this is going to be hard to believe, after the intermission, I would have to ask everyone in the audience to buckle up their seatbelts because... Believe it or not, our story is about to take some even sharper twists and turns. <laughs> so everybody buckle up your seatbelts. Um, uh, first, before I talk about the sharp twists and turns, I just need to give you a quick background. In the middle of all of this going on with Kai, as if we needed more trouble, um, more things to worry about, our daughter Brielle had started having severe stomach pain. It was dull, it was sharp, it was burning. And this all started in approximately 2013 when she was about five and Kai was about a year into his illness. She had what we would describe as these horrible acid burps, um, like fire in her throat for up to two hours per day. And she would just burp one after another after another. It was torturous for her. She, she couldn't fall asleep. It would consistently hit at bedtime. <clears throat> yeah. She, she would just lie in bed dealing with these burps. Late that afternoon, would, early evening, yeah. Um, she had frequent vomiting, diarrhea, and also some other symptoms that were non-gastro, like uh, jaw pain, heart rate variability, and horrible nightmares. Um, so this package of symptoms had become a chronic health issue for her. And it had often gotten to the point where she couldn't live well, nor even sleep because of the pain and the stomach acid. So for years, we were trying every medication for her, trying every supplement, trying diet, taking her to multiple doctors, and no one could figure out the cause of her condition either. So hospital tests did, however, find that she had many things wrong with her. She had severe constipation that we found in a couple of x-rays, um, erosions in her esophagus, a distended abdomen, a distended colon, an abdominal cavity that was so full of gas that the sonographer could not even see her organs during the ultrasound. And she said she had never had that happen. I do not recall that. Yeah. yeah. Um, she was often pale, lethargic, and just plain miserable, too. So though her symptoms were totally different from Kai's, oddly, like Kai, she had some of the same mysterious triggers. Sugar was a trigger, stress was a trigger, lack of sleep was a trigger, and lack of sunshine. And Kai had a lot more triggers than she did, but these were the big ones for the two of them. And when we say lack of sunshine, wintertime was yes. always worse than summer. Winter was always for worse symptoms. for both of them. And um, strangely, as I had been doing my research for Kai over the years, I had actually found her symptoms listed in the medical articles for dysautonomia over and over. So through all of this, our theory developed that both of the kids had dysautonomia, but that each of their illnesses had manifested completely differently. And 
had gone on their own pathway of destruction, as I call it. So anyway, that's the background of what had been going on with Brielle before 2017. But we never in our lives could have foreseen what would come next in March of 2017. That was two months after we returned from Plasticity Brain Center with Kai and five years into his illness. And I have to say that the timing of this, I mean, if there's ever anything good about this, the timing of it was perfect because he was better from everything we had done for 10 months. He was better from plasticity. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so it we was... We were reaching some smooth waters. Yes. We're yeah. so thankful <laughs> about the timing of this. You and, the, you and your boys even went on a vacation at mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. Did you go find a beach somewhere? Yeah, we did. I think it was yeah, that good. Or was it just you and Kai in Orlando? I think it was at that time, maybe. Did Sterling go? Yeah. I don't remember. But um, that winter in Kansas City was the worst winter for communicable illnesses that I have ever seen in my life. I mean, the schools were overwhelmed. Sicknesses seemed to abound through the town for weeks on end with multiple bacterial and viral illnesses going around, as they say. Many kids got sick back to back several times. And in the midst of all of this, our daughter Brielle, she was nine and a half at this time. And in the third grade, got three winter illnesses in a row in a short period of time between late February and early March, again, 2017. So the first one was just a normal respiratory winter illness. The second one turned out to be a moderate case of the flu. And the third one was post-flu walking pneumonia. So we got her on an antibiotic, but sadly and suddenly, this is when life took another turn. Following the pneumonia, or kind of even in the middle of it, (coughs) excuse me, severe pallor, neurological problems, and muscular problems began. It started actually on March 7th with her eyes rolling into the back of her head. I observed it, and it immediately alarmed me. The look of it was super scary. Um, I asked her if she was okay, and she didn't seem to know what I was talking about. So that night at dinner, she did it again with Jared at the table, and I caught his attention quickly, and I said, hey, hey, look at her, look at her, what's she doing? What is that? Her eyes are rolling back, and he was just stunned. And And alarmed. Yeah. he, He said, I have no idea. And I told him it was the second time that I'd seen it that day and that I was worried. I just told him straight up, I think there's something wrong with her brain. Um, And so so did I. Yeah. And at the same time, other than those specific moments, there was no evidence of any problems. It was just those those isolated few seconds here and there. Mm -hmm. So I asked him, you know, should we take her to the ER? And he said, well, no, because she only had two of them today. So the chances of her doing that there are pretty slim. And even if she does, the chances of their knowing what's wrong are zero. <laughs> so um, we just kept her under observation and hoped that no more would happen. But the next day, I observed four or five of these, four to five of these eye rolling episodes. Um, but otherwise, she was okay. She was just puny, you know, still kind of sickly. So I just tried not to worry. But. On March 9th in the morning, I went downstairs where she was lying on the couch, pretty listless and out of it, seeming sleepy and groggy, lethargic and pale, and I immediately noticed that she was having these eye-rolling episodes every couple of minutes, or even every minute. So I tried to talk to her, but she wasn't responding much to me at all, and after a couple of minutes, she stopped responding at all. 
So I could clearly tell she was going in and out of consciousness. And in my observation of her, I could also see for the first time that I think it was the first time that these eye rolling episodes were actually the tail end of a long spasm that was starting at her diaphragm. And it was moving up through her throat and out through her eyes. So three parts, diaphragm, throat, and eyes. And so trying not to panic, I got myself together as quickly as possible. And thankfully, my son Jace was home. Um, He could watch Brenna for me. She was four years old. He was home just getting over his own illness. Um, And so after grabbing my jacket and purse, I went to pick up Brielle to take her to the local children's ER. You called me while I was at work. Mm -hmm. You sent me the video. A video of her having the spasm, yeah. Yeah. The eyes rolling into her head. And I said go. Yeah. And uh, when I went to go to the couch to pick her up, I was totally stunned to find that she was completely stiff. It was like lifting a two-by-four off the couch. And a surge of panic just went through me because I could not even imagine what this could be. My first thought was meningitis, but then I realized, you know, that's stiff neck. That's that's not full-body stiffness. So what is going on? Um, so I got her to the ER, and they took her back immediately seeing her condition, and after they examined her, they decided she needed to be transferred to the main hospital and rode by ambulance there. So by the time they made that decision, Jared was there at the hospital with us, and when he lifted her to put her on the stretcher, again, she was stiff as a board, and everybody saw it, everybody in the room, and they were just all baffled. Just kind of this gasp went through the room, like, what is going on? Cannot imagine being in that room. Yeah. Um, And in total, she spent three days at the main hospital, but the only thing they said they found in her was that she'd had the flu. So they gave her Tamiflu, and um, they said they didn't know what the neuro problems were from or the stiffness. But at the end of three days, she at least wasn't losing consciousness anymore, so they sent her home. So getting out of the hospital with Brielle still having these crazy symptoms made us feel pretty lost, but I'm sure everybody knows what we did next. And that was that we called Dr. Alex. (laughs) And we made arrangements for her to become a patient of his. Um, Around this time, Brielle's diaphragm spasms that moved upward developed into a sort of time cycle pattern. They would come daily, but usually started in the afternoon, and they lasted a few hours, spasming for maybe 30 seconds and then off for 30 seconds. It wasn't consistent in the timing, but um, just on and off, on and off really bothering her, very uncomfortable. Um, In the mornings, she would be fine. She would be weak, but um, she didn't have any problems. It was just in the afternoon that it would start for several hours. So I think it was before we saw you, Dr. Alex, with her for our first appointment that we had a second hospitalization. It was March 16th, spring break, and we had taken the kids to Sky Zone to have some fun, to burn off some energy. Late uh, afternoon came, and of course, so did those spasms. So I just took Brielle down to the floor with me and sat on the couch with her, and uh, she laid her head on my lap, and I rubbed her back and stroked her hair and tried to ride out the storm, and the spasms just would not calm even a little bit. And then uh, suddenly I was made aware that we had a much bigger problem. Brielle's eyes had gotten big, her face was turning red, and she had her hands on her neck. I realized instantly that those larynx spasms in her throat, they're called laryngospasms, they had become so tight in her throat that she was having trouble breathing. 
So I called Jared down, and we decided immediately to get her back to the ER. When we got there, they didn't even check Jared's ID. They just saw that she wasn't breathing. They said, get back, get back, you know, go back there. <laughs> so we did, and they took her back right away. And sure enough, her oxygen levels were going down. Um, they had her admitted, but the next day, unfortunately, the doctors said there was nothing medically wrong with her, and they sent her home. In the meantime, Dr. Alex and Dr. Lauren were kind enough to come to the hospital that day to visit. So Dr. Alex got a good chance to observe Brielle for a couple of hours and to make a plan for her while, um, while they were hanging out with us and uh, just, I guess, getting a plan together for when we would see you mm -hmm. in your office. And you guys were the bright spot of our day. <laughs> that day so um, it was a very difficult awful day but you guys were the the best part of it so in your office dr. Alex um, I know you used your thorough knowledge of functional neurology and the brain and everything to work on Brielle to calm her system I don't remember all we did I know we did a tens unit mm -hmm. some exercises we tried some supplements um, if you have any other things that you remember that we did it's been a long time well so there wasn't, as far as all the details, when I was kind of going through stuff not too long ago, the, what I had wrote down was everything works, but it doesn't stick. Mm. So what would work at one point, like throwing a TENS unit on her to stimulate um, one area of her brain, that would slow things down, but then it, it just wear off. It mm -hmm. just wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't work. So then... I don't quite remember the timeline though as I'm talking that's when I was like holy cow I think we might be on round two mm. I kind of remember at least when you verbalized it to us when you were realizing that I don't know if you were thinking of it before mm -hmm. but um, I, if, if I'm interrupting you no go ahead okay. no it, it, it but it was so baffling because it, by the time I was able to get my hands on Kai, no pun intended, felt really confident about the neuroautoimmunity because it's, after you've seen a dozen or so, you're like, oh, you, mm -hmm. you can kind of see a 30,000 foot view pattern. Sure. Mm -hmm. But with this, I was like. What in the world is this? Yeah, <laughs> nothing makes sense. Is it, like how you're describing it, was it spasms? At that time, we we're calling it seizures. Mm -hmm. It would not seizures yet. We were just calling it spasms because she didn't really have any consciousness problems anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm like, while. are these a type of seizure that, because there's different classes of seizures. I'm like, is there something, is there a different type of seizure that we don't know about? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and and then, of course, she didn't have all the other issues that Kai had. Mm -mm. So it was, it, it was mind-boggling. Yeah, very strange case. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, not, like you said, nothing stuck, nothing worked. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing we were doing with anybody was working and those brutal spasms continued and caused her breathing problems every day. But at least she could get breaths in between, but it was just torturous. So, um, you know, we were afraid at that point to take her back to the hospital because of our experience there. So we looked for other options. And first we took her to an ENT in Olathe who did confirm the laryngospasms. That was very helpful information. Mm -hmm. But he said he didn't know that what they, sorry, he knew what they were, but he didn't know why they were happening or what to do about them. Yep. Um, strangely, and this is when Dr. Alex said something to us about it, um, her Braille's left foot started turning in when walking. Mm -hmm. 
And Dr. Alex and even Dr. Lawrence sometimes had been making house calls for us so that we wouldn't have to travel to his office. That was very generous of you guys. And uh, a big breakthrough happened in Dr. Alex's mind when he saw her left foot turning in, or like you said, maybe before too, um, while she was walking. I just thought she was being a silly little girl, <laughs> I'll be honest. But um, Dr. Alex noticed that there was a connection. And I am always blown away by your knowledge, Dr. Alex, just how you observe everything and your instincts kicked in. Um, but you said at that time that there was a rare harmful antibody called Antiged 65 that could cause this walking dysfunction, among other things. And so he suggested that we get a Cunningham panel. And to this day, I am so thankful that we did right then. We, not that day, but we went out that week and got a Cunningham panel. I'm so glad we did, that we didn't wait. But while waiting for the results, in the meantime, Jared received a referral for a pediatric neurologist in another city and gave him a call to discuss Braille's condition. And this doctor was kind and said he would be glad to take her as a patient, but unfortunately he was booked solid for a while. So he, he did give us a hint and say that if things got worse, she could be admitted to his hospital and then he could see her sooner that way. Mm. And of course, as it happened, not long after that, she started getting worse. She started having these horrible, horrible involuntary movements that happened regularly along with the spasms, similar to convulsions. And following that, she started losing consciousness again during the episodes. We were right at the end of March at this time uh, several weeks into this and she began collapsing while walking so that's when Jared swept her up and took her to the hospital in the other city where she was admitted so over the next 10 days under their care in the PICU she declined to absolute rock bottom and the instabilities greatly intensified the afternoon spasming episodes morphed into never-ending seizure cycles all day long when she was awake 300 to 500 seizure cycles per day every day and she was unable to breathe much during the time of the cycles because of the spasms at, at the end of each cycle she would hallucinate and she would have these involuntary blood-curdling screams she became known as the screaming patient she was hallucinating and screaming all the time you could actually set your clock by this by the length of her <laughs> yeah. seizure cycles yeah to know when was she was going to scream that over and over and over she had tachycardia, crazy and completely unnatural eye movements, things that eyes are not supposed to be able to do were happening, neck extensions and spasms, more hallucinations, periodic stiffness in her toes, feet, legs, and hands. She lost both voluntary and involuntary muscle abilities. Her heart rate soared up to 180 beats per minute at times. And we were just devastated as we watched our daughter lose her abilities to walk, speak, eat, see and hear, and connect with the world in any way. I and think it was a Saturday morning that uh, she woke up and I could tell she was really struggling to talk to me. In the, in the midst of a seizure cycle, she would have a window of what was 45 seconds where she would try to get her brain to connect. Oh, wow, that's dad. And then she would work to the point where she could talk to me. And I saw that 45 seconds had become 40, and 40 had become 35. 
And I called Michaela and I said, you need to make yeah. the two and a half hour trip. Well, we had been going back and forth because we had other kids <laughs> we had to take care of. So we were taking turns at this hospital. Sometimes we were there together and sometimes we were taking turns. So I had actually been back in Overland Park trying to just take care of the other kids for a little bit. And he called me. I was supposed to go that afternoon back to um, the hospital. And he said, I think you need to come now. And I said, well, I've got a couple things I need to do. And then I'll be there. And he said, no, I think you need to come now. And oh, my goodness, those words, just not knowing if she was dying. I didn't know what to think. And it turned out she was losing her ability to know who we were when she could see in here. She, there were very slim moments when she could see, and she did not know who we were anymore. Mm -hmm. And she was terrified. She was terrified of us. She was terrified of the sight of any human face. Her cognition went to zero, and she was completely aware, unaware, sorry, of the world that she was in at all times. And even if something happened to her, like cold water accidentally fell on her feet, she wouldn't make any move movement at all. She didn't feel it. She, she was just completely unaware. So her eyes were just far away, and her body refused to sleep as well. well there was this one night they gave her Valium to get her to sleep, but it didn't work, and so they added propofol, didn't work. They added Benadryl, it didn't work. <laughs> She was still, they, her body they max just would dosed not the propofol, still didn't work. Yeah, and then they gave her more Valium, and she finally went to sleep. But we had about three nights where we didn't know if she was going to make it through the night. And they were the darkest days of our lives. You know, um, within 27 days of that first eye-rolling episode, our daughter was essentially gone. She had lost everything about her except for the function of her vital organs. And so we knew they were next. Everything had been shutting down day by day, and we knew the vitals were next if we didn't um, do something to stop the spiraling. She was just now a bedridden body of working internal organs with a non-working brain and non-working muscular system. So um, besides all of that being so terrifying, the most terrifying part was that nobody could find out what was wrong with her at the hospital. But the best part of that hospital stay was that they just experimentally gave her the IVIG treatment, which is donated antibodies. And though she didn't get better from the IVIG, the IVIG did stop her illness from progressing. It was, and in, that was in all the days since the first day, we finally saw instead of further decline, it finally stopped. Yeah, and, and she, she found was a new holding, baseline. She was holding instead of continuing to decline. Yeah. It was a terrible baseline where she was, but at least she wasn't getting worse anymore. Mm -hmm. And so we are thankful that that hospital gave her the IVIG because I think they saved her life at that point. And after the 10 days in the PICU, um, they discharged her with a feeding tube and sent us home. So we brought our daughter home in a much different state. Sent us home without an explanation. Yeah, sent us Or direction. In, and she was in a completely different state than when we had left for that hospital. She was alive, but she was no longer with us. Um, she couldn't stop moving, constantly moving. She had those never ending seizure cycles and she was constantly screaming. And I was always worried that the neighbors would hear it. Hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how do you explain the crazy things that were happening? But I'm gonna skip a few details here, but over the next few weeks, we endured eight hospitalizations in five different hospitals in three different states. 
and the results of the tests at the hospitals had to be put together by us. But what we found, and Dr. Alex too, but what we found was that Brielle had four different antibodies found in her system. Uh, the ASO, which is again the strep antibodies, mycoplasma, which is walking pneumonia, Bartonella, which is a tick-borne illness, and the anti-GAD-65 antibodies, which is what Dr. Alex had been suspicious of. Now, anti-GAD-65, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but these um, are not normal antibodies. They're not antibodies that have any purpose. They're mutant, and they're created by an accident of the immune system, and they cross the blood-brain barrier, and they attach to GAD-65 enzymes in the brain. And the job of your GAD65 enzymes is to take the excitatory neurotransmitter that's called glutamate, which we all have, and transform it into GABA, which is a calming neurotransmitter, and that helps us all calm down. But because Brielle's antibodies were attacking those enzymes, she could not produce GABA, and so she could not stop being excitatory. And that is why she was spasming and um, having all the other things happen to her that she wanted. Constant excitatory state. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the there's really big emphasis, like you said, that unless consensus has changed since we worked with Brielle, uh, across the board, everyone said GAD65, if you have GAD65 antibodies, is 100% not normal. Right. Should not be there. Red Correct. flag, figure it out. Right. Yeah. I've not seen anything of contradicting course. that since, huh? Yeah, and the numbers don't matter. If you're high or low, if you have it, you have it, yep. period. It's Even like if, uh, I tell people it's like pregnancy. Yeah. You're pregnant or you're not. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can't be Absolutely. partly pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Jared and Dr. Alex did tremendous research, and you know we just put it all together that our body was in. But I would have had no place to start. I, I was completely unfamiliar yeah. with GAD65 as an entity whatsoever. So. Mm-hmm. It was only because he brought it up as a possibility. Yeah. And causing all the excitatory distress, seizures, hallucinations, spasms, stiffness, everything. So while we were in Rochester um, at Mayo on one of the hospital stays in the middle of a 24-hour EEG, actually, Dr. Alex called us to let us know that Brielle's Cunningham panel had come back, and it was a whopping 5 out of 5, higher than Kai. And because of this, Dr. Alex recommended a number of supplements and a wonderful pediatric infectious disease specialist in Columbia, Missouri. And thankfully, this doctor took Braille's case and in May diagnosed her with autoimmune encephalomyelitis. He said that she was in the top 3 to 5% of worst cases that he had ever seen. Sorry, she was in the top 3 to 5% of worst cases total of anybody, but she was the worst case he had personally ever seen. And over the next several months, he treated her illness aggressively, giving her three rounds of plasmapheresis, which cleans out the blood. Um, From the GAD-65. Mm-hmm, cleans out the blood of the autoimmune antibodies. Um, he gave her one two-part round of rituximab, which is a chemotherapeutic agent that kills the B cells making the autoimmune antibodies and a few rounds more of IVIG. And that is the good news. The great news is that this doctor also found out about Kai Mm -hmm. and volunteered, (laughs) said, bring him over, Um, I'll care for him too. Diagnosed him with autoimmune encephalomyelitis as well. So he believed it was PANDAS symptoms 
plus a lot more. So he kind of did the broader diagnosis for that one. Um, And Kai got to have plasmapheresis as well and several rounds of IVIG. And our experience at this hospital, by the way, was absolutely outstanding. Um, The doctoral, nursing, all other staff were well-trained, they were knowledgeable, they were caring, they were loving, acknowledging, encouraging. And they were just an incredible team who collaborated effectively. They understood the details of this horrible disease. They understood the details of the treatments and they immediately knew how to manage anything that might come our way. Interestingly. we're thankful for them and thankful that Dr. Alex recommended us. Yeah, just for perspective, um, our doctor uh, had pointed out that after decades of practice, as literally the only regional expert, multi-state expert, his two most severe cases he'd ever dealt with were Brielle and Kai. Yeah. 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 And he, so I'll say his name, Dr. Cooperstock. Um, he's not practicing anymore. Um, but he was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Allowed me to call him, talk to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I still had voicemails saved on my phone from him. Wow. Mm. Explaining things to me. Um, he cared so much. Oh, cared so much. And I think he even just said, yeah, give Dr. Woodman my phone number. Mm-hmm. He uh, did, yeah. And I, yeah. I talked to him, too. Yeah, because yeah, it was, was kind fantastic. of funny. When, when we were telling him about Brielle, he kept wanting to talk about Kai. Yeah, in fact. <laughs> so like, Brielle, wait, Brielle uh, was Brielle's a little bit more concerning Brielle right was now. admitted, and I was discussing her case. And he had, he had agreed to take her on while she's literally admitted in the hospital. At whatever point it made sense for us to get her to his outpatient clinic, he'd said, just get her here yeah. whenever the time is right. But as in in the process of taking her history, he dutifully took the family history yeah. in which he heard about <laughs> Kai and took a not just a family history about Kai, but a thorough history of Kai. And yeah. he told me then these two are the most – I mean, by phone he was saying these two cases are ama- just – Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, after the plasmapheresis, IVIG, and rituximab, um, they, these treatments were not the magic bullet to heal everything, but they were very helpful, especially for Brielle, extremely helpful, um, essential for laying the foundation of healing is what I would say. Um, so we still had a lot more work to do. You know, Kai was still edgy. He was still struggling with school, among other things. He was unfortunately having to be homebound again his senior year. And even after all the treatments, Brielle herself could still not walk or speak, eat, or use the toilet. And she had seizures still a lot, a lot of different kinds of seizures, a lot of instabilities. And though she was conscious most of the time, she only had the cognition of a five-year-old at a nine-year-old age. By that time, she had recovered yes. to the cognition of a Yeah, and I'll explain that here in a, mis- in a minute. But... Um, that was really hard because she used to be top of her class and now my nine-year-old was a five-year-old in her brain but um it was still an incredible improvement at least she was aware that we were her you know we were in the room now she wasn't afraid of us anymore she uh was a lot more conscious and uh made a big difference so so to give an idea of what it was like for Brielle to come out of the stage that she was in in April when this first happened to her, 
It was a very slow process. Um, like I said, she was a bedridden body in April. She couldn't stop moving. And as her body tried to find healing, she actually had to go through all of her infant and early child development stages again. And amazingly, Dr. Alex told me that that would happen too. So the first thing she did were rolling and cooing like a baby, like a three-month-old. Um, and eventually she got up on all fours and had to learn to crawl. Her, uh, strangely, her left hand was turned upside down, though, when she would crawl. And uh, she started babbling like a, like a little kid. And next she went into the one-year-old stage where she started pulling everything out of cupboards, putting everything in her mouth, playing peekaboo. And dreadfully, she entered the terrible twos again. <laughs> Nine-year-old <laughs> um, in yeah, the terrible reminder, twos. Yeah, reminder, she's a nine-and-a-half-year-old body going through the terrible twos. It was awful. Um, and then she got to age three in her development. Um, she liked to watch Barney and Dora at those times and just do little kid things. And at that time, the school came out to test her, and she indeed scored at age three on their tests, on their cognitive tests. And another shout-out I'd like to give is to the school because they were absolutely incredible, including the principal. Tremendously, we were blessed by them. Um, she had, had a dream team that loved her and faithfully worked with her. So she was stuck at age three in her brain for a while, but then after the next round of plasmapheresis, she moved on to age five. So we were thankful for this. Um, Unfortunately, again, she got stuck there, too, even with all the therapies we were doing at the school. And she also still continued to have those painful spasms, um, seizures, lots of instabilities. And knowing that those anti-GAD65 antibodies could cause another autoimmune disease called stiff person syndrome, we found a neurology specialist in Washington State and flew Brielle out to see her in April of 2018 which was one year after her onset of everything. This doctor was also excellent and diagnosed Brielle with stiff person syndrome. So the treatments for SPS are actually the same as for encephalitis, but now if needed, we could get specific meds to help manage the pain, having that second diagnosis. So we were thankful for that. And we also never needed those meds because we found that um, her pain went down 95% with CBD oil non-THC CBD oil. Um, so that was excellent. Just It was natural, a natural treatment. That was a godsend. Mm-hmm. Thanks to a friend of mine. Oh, I know. I was going to say something that I forgot to put in here, but um, at that hospital, one of the staff members told me about the Facebook pages. Which hospital? Um, oh. In Missouri. Okay. Uh, told me about the Facebook pages with parents of kids with these illnesses. I never even knew that that existed. And that entered me into a whole world of help from parents who just amazing parents, fighting parents. Which, and by the way, those parents are pregnant find this podcast. And you, by the way, are a rock star. Oh. <laughs> you are beyond popular. <laughs> which is where I got to thank you for the continued referrals. Because someone even just recently came in, and they came in because of you. Oh, wow. Well, it's it, my pleasure to, your to name, refer them. Your name is dropped directly, if not <coughs> secondarily, or ter- on a tertiary basis. Wow. No, I had no, no idea. I really did not know that, so thank that, you. No exaggeration. 
Well, <laughs> that's awesome. I'm glad I can pass it on because I wouldn't. We wouldn't be here if we hadn't had people recommend to us. The parents have to take care of each other, and that's what I found on these Facebook pages. Um, and that's I realized, how I found out about the CBD. I realized just yesterday a, a term that I'd never quite formulated to describe my wife, and she is a champion and a defender of the week, and I'm a blessed man. Well, thank you. That's very nice. Yeah. I'm blessed, too. Thank you. <laughs> Can I jump in really quick? Well, um, so that is actually all we ended up doing with allopathic medicine. We're very glad we did that. Um, but the real deep healing came in natural medicine for us, the deep stuff. It Everything just kind of unfolded randomly. Um, partly from the Facebook pages, just hearing here and there, uh, getting bugs in her ear about different things. So in addition to having a very clean, no sugar, mm. no grain diet to keep inflammation down for both kids and our whole family, we started an immune system modulating yogurt called Bravo Yogurt and two other products from that same company called Rerum, which is now called Immuno and Sophia Flow, which is now called Immunocream. Uh, we started this stuff in 2017, summertime, and the results were very impressive. For example, with the Bravo alone, food sensitivity started going away, and I never thought that would happen. Kai could eat a blueberry. I um, remember that yeah. being like the weirdest thing. Like, yes. And, I remember that. And he had gotten so skinny, and he was now able to eat whole wheat bread, whole grain bread with a sandwich, which he had had meat sandwiches for years, for six years, and he now could eat bread. It was incredible to watch him eat foods and not have reactions from them. So I knew that Bravo yogurt, which was an immune system modulating yogurt. Gut health. Yeah, and the gut health, and it has GCMAF in it. It, it just helps um, straighten everything out. It was really helping. So we were coming partway, but then kind of plateaued, and then I found out from the Facebook pages um, about a detox called Advanced TRS by a company called Cosiva, and we started that in 2018 while still doing the other protocols. And at that point, it was like watching miracles unfold for both kids. It wasn't just the TRS that was doing this great work. It was really all of it together, um, getting their immune systems modulated, getting their systems detoxed, and things just started getting into alignment. So, the uh, again, the products were Bravo Yogurt, Immuno now, and Immuno Cream, it's called now, and Advanced TRS. So we started, uh, where we continued to see Dr. Alex for a while for functional neurology care and chiropractic care. And also along the way, we got Brielle physical therapies to help her be able to walk and speak again. And MNRI, MNRI, occupational therapy, to get her brain and muscle systems reconnected. Um, gradual improvements and the safe and sound protocol through the MNRI plus milk thistle in March of 2020 was what brought her to the final steps of remission, to remission. Three years it had taken. It was March of 2020 um, that she had her last seizure. And we did not know it was going to be her last seizure <laughs> or else I probably would have written down the date. But I know it was over spring break. We were watching a movie. It was just kind of an intense movie with uh, the filming. And I think it was too much for her eyes. She had a seizure. 
but then she never had another one. And it was absolutely glorious. So we, it's been almost two years now. She's an eighth grader, seizure-free for two years, no problems for two years. She has a 4.0. She's walking. She's speaking. She's a great teenager. She's learning how to drive, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, she's on no medications. She's only on supplements. We continue to give her the Bravo and the TRS occasionally. Um, we're, we just don't have to do it strictly anymore, just kind of when we think about it. Winter, we do it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but she did, once we started the MNRI, it was kind of the synergy that helped everything else work, like the, the PT. So she started talking, but I know it was the synergy of it all. It wasn't just the MNRI. So able to walk and talk, and um, the seizures started going away. The instability started going away. Her body had been on this very strange circadian rhythm, and that was going away just step by step by step. We got there. We did MNRI for a year and a half, and that was recommended by a lady at the school one of um, her therapists. So Kai's healing has been a little rockier, and um, I updated Dr. Alex a little bit before this show, but um, Kai really did get to the door of remission in 2019 from everything mentioned, uh, right at about seven years after his onset. He was not perfectly healed, but he was what I would say 99% there. And because of that, we were satisfied. We were like, if we only get to 99%, that's good. Um, he was highly functioning. He was very happy. He had almost no symptoms. He still had a little edge, which should have spoken to me trouble. But, you know, he was just doing so well comparatively that we just felt like everything was fine and everything was going to be good and that it was resolved. So we had a great year. Um, that year, 2019, made some family memories, tried to rebuild what was lost. And unfortunately, that only lasted about a year. Um, 2020 came and remission kind of seemed to unravel. It was only about three symptoms, thankfully, not the dozens and dozens that I mentioned before, but um, these three symptoms were really bad. He had sleep disruptions, that contrariness and arguing came back, and he had severe depression and suicidality. So uh, last May, we got started with a new doctor we thankfully found in the Houston area who does tremendous work with inflammatory illnesses from a functional medicine philosophy. And she tested him for everything under the sun, and we found a number of reasons, root reasons, that Kai has gotten so sick genetically. Um, genetic of, reasons. Yeah, genetic reasons, um, cellular reasons. So we're working on those now, and he is doing very well on some medications and some supplements that she has given him. He really feels like he has arrived, as he said. He said, I feel like I've arrived. I mean, he's in his 20s now, so right. <laughs> it's sad that it took that long, but at least it's it's happened. Yeah, that um, was a text just within the last couple of weeks. Oh. Yeah. So uh, I have to compliment Kai here and say that he literally is the most determined and persevering individual I've ever known in my life. He has fought time and time again against the unthinkable. He has fought against suicidality. And through it all, he just pushed to get well, and he pushed to get his education through it all. Yeah. Um, I don't he, I don't know if uh, if the story has quite highlighted the severity of his suicidality. Yeah, I didn't really talk as much um, about that. I, I've as a as a doc, I've dealt with adults and teenagers with severe, traumatic, terrible suicidality. And 
not one time have I dealt with someone who's dealt with it like my own son has, and he dealt with it constantly. Yeah, he, and he did fought. try to kill himself over 250 times. And I know that sounds like I'm exaggerating greatly, but I'm not. And we got a lot of this on video. Um, unfortunately, I'm having trouble finding the videos now from that year, but um, we did. And, and he didn't really, when I say he attempted, sometimes the attempts weren't fully full attempts. They were himself sorry he was trying to get himself to do it but i still count that then there were times that he actually did attempt and thankfully did not make it through and, and what's important to note is there's going to be parents listening to this who have kids with god forbid the same issue or children that are have suicidality being we work with uh, troubled teens sometimes they do it for attention that was not Kai. Right. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. None of those were attention-based. He was tortured by yes. the fact that he dealt with it. Correct. Yeah. He was just having he, torture he thoughts. He was driving that bus, yeah. as he said. Yeah. Torment, torture in his brain. I mean, that's why he's just so persevering, because who can live with that kind of torture in their brain Man. all the time? Whoever, and, good luck to whoever he has to go up against with in life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a determined kid. He's going to be very successful. And yeah. he's graduating this uh, this May from KU with a degree in computer science, and he has a 4.0. He is active on the KU disc golf team. He works out at a gym almost every day. He's very faithful to that because he found once he could finally start exercising, because he couldn't in the past, mm -hmm. he found that once he could, it was really helping him. Um, and he has a lot of friends now, which is huge. Exercise is therapy for him. He knows it. Yeah. yeah. It actually resets him. If he starts to feel a panic attack coming on, he can go for a run, and it resets him. Yep. So he also just landed his first real job after college, which is really cool. Like, <laughs> you think that every step along the way your child's growing up, but when they get their first real job, that's when you know that they've grown up. <laughs> So both kids are literally walking miracles. And in the end, because we were already connected with Dr. Alex through Kai's illness, we were able to find a pathway to get help for Brielle. And we were able to get more help for Kai because of the Missouri doctor we found through Brielle's illness. So in the end, I always say that, um, you know, Kai's illness helped save Brielle's life and Brielle's illness helped save Kai's life. It was this really, really um, spun together story, yeah. I guess. I don't mm -hmm. know how else to say that. The story In a million ways, really came together. God weaved it all together, and you guys are part of that weaving, too. Yeah. Well, it, so. it, it was life-changing in so many ways. Mm -hmm. It 100% changed how I practice. Um, wow. And how we... And it, in my mind, that's what's... <laughs> spun us to get our own place like we have now mm. just to have the leeway to do as you need and mm -hmm. Jared as you know owning an office or offices at this point if, if you if you run the show then you can do as you please I couldn't do everything I wanted right. to do right you know didn't have all that I wanted and needed so they were the genesis of that mm. that's for sure wow. wow and you have a great place and a great practice I just like the knowledge and the instincts that you have that you put together and like you said, you don't have protocols, you have tools, but you don't have protocols. You just work with each child what makes sense in that moment. And mm -hmm. that's why 
you're so popular. <laughs> I mean, you think I'm popular on those Facebook pages. You are too. Your name comes up a lot too. And because people know that, that you know, they're getting help. Um, it, it's not, this is a an illness that is multifaceted and you oh. have to have so many different In- kinds of therapies. You have to have the supplements and you have to have the diet you have to find out what the root causes are but then you also have to have the repair and that is one of the things that you're good at is helping Mm -hmm. bring the repair to the nervous system to the brain to help get things back in order excuse me back in order so well well, and i mean how many pages is this call it (laughs) yeah i don't know 10 15 yeah there's so many more details on this oh there are there are lots we did together or that happened at the various hospitals Mm -hmm. there are it is multifaceted yes this is really this is the abridged version yes (laughs) shockingly yes (laughs) yeah and it uh what i always like to what i always like to kind of note with all this is um What's most important is uh, Brielle and I have the same birthday. Yes, <laughs> you do. Right. That's so much fun. <laughs> that, is, that is most important. Uh, uh, but too, it's September seventh. Don't forget. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was truly humbling to be able to be part of this because, mm-hmm. with our own experience, it was hard for us to reach out for help. So I can't imagine what you guys had gone through. And then as a as a doc who's sitting there looking at what's happening to his kids and reaching out to no, just the, a, just every person I knew in Kansas city got me literally nowhere. I mean, I, I reached the end of Kansas city and there was no one to help. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness it's not like that anymore until, until I talked with Dr. Nelson. So. <laughs> well, and then the other thing I have to say is it, it um, is none of this would happen without her. So <laughs> seriously, uh, cause if I, it doesn't happen as much, but when I come across a case, I mean, she knows about it because we're in it every day, but I used to come across cases. I come home and I'm like, yeah, we got a whopper. And that's where I'm up at five in the morning or four in the morning, studying, figuring stuff out wow. or, Hey, who are you on the phone with? Uh, it's a doc I know about from a friend of a friend who's out in California, who's seen something like this before. So I'm talking to him real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm just like, I don't know if I can do this. She's like, oh, you'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and you're right, aren't you? She knows you. Yeah. She knows yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. But. That's awesome. Well, I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to say, but I guess I guess Nick wants to do another show here, so we'll. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. No, we just also just want to thank God for every step yeah. along the way, leading us and guiding us, because so much of the timing and so many of the steps were just brought to us from out of nowhere and we know that it was a miracle time and time and time again and the whole healing thing is a miracle so we just want to say that too so so many unexplicable factors like even when you look at kai now and in all these concepts and this msh that you're talking Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. that's noted Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. i have to go look that up yeah Mm -hmm. and those are some things that we just now know what mm-hmm. about the other trillions of details under that right sure. absolutely yeah. absolutely like lauren said it's like peeling an onion and yeah you just have to keep going and i don't know how far down crying to like the center onion. <laughs> 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 the take-home is is these are very serious issues mm-hmm. and as i explained to a patient earlier today no our intern today there are kids 
or adolescents or adults in psych wards right now. Yes. Absolutely there are. Absolutely there are. And in fact, you know, we you you heard 20 or 30 of Kai's symptoms. There's all kinds of kids out there that have mild versions of a small handful of those symptoms, two or three, and the issue is brain inflammation. Yeah. Neuroautoimmunity. Absolutely. No yep. question. Yep. And undiagnosed. And I think we're finding out more and more and I it's for lack of a better way of putting this, I think we're finding out more and more psychiatric problems are caused by yes. physical Absolutely. Problems. Well the moms on the Facebook pages think there's no such thing as psychiatric. We just think it's yeah. all inflammation and gut related and infection related and immune related. Um, and that's our theory. And it, yeah, it, exactly. And then you mix that in with other factors like the dysautonomia and then how what that affects mm-hmm. and how that messes with your immune system and unravel that mess. Right. So I'm 100% on board saying I don't know that psychosis yeah. necessarily is a thing. I mean, right. it's obviously a thing, but it's not its own. It's a symptom it's a of symptom. an underlying problem. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Or problems. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Well, all right. I guess we'll be getting out of here. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for coming. All right, everyone. The Dr. Alex Show is brought to you by Apex Energetics, apexenergetics.com. First of all, to learn more about Apex Energetics, head on over to that website. If you want to get Apex Energetics directly, uh, please call them 1-800-736-4381, or you can shop our online store. You can get to our online store at myhcpstore.com. Username is Dr. Alex. Otherwise, if you'd like to find a doctor that uses Apex Energetics, you can give them a call or go to the website and they'll direct you to a doc in your area that should be doing very good work with Apex Energetics. Apex has just been instrumental in our lives professionally and personally. About six years ago, we went through one of the most hellacious traumas that you can think of. And if it weren't for Apex with their stress support line of products, I probably would not be here. Point blank period. And in the office, making the switch from other lines to Apex Energetics has sped up our results with our patients, supporting them through their healthcare needs, um, probably by 25%. Um, if not, if not more. And when it comes to Apex Energetics, we just want to remind everyone that we are here to not cure diseases, making claims. We're here supporting people, increasing their healthcare needs and helping them achieve their goals. Apexenergetics.com. The Dr. Alex show is hosted by myself, a nerd, Dr. Alex Nelson. I'm a chiropractor board certified in functional neurology and childhood neurodevelopmental disorders. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or most any of your other favorite podcast apps. The Dr. Alex Show is a production of Fredcasts. Think, speak, act.